good morning. Our second reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 to chapter 6, verse 2. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we were once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us to the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favourable time, I listen to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favourable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. As you've heard this morning, we're thinking about our involvement in world mission and our support of those who've been sent out from this church to play their part in God's work throughout the globe. We're also continuing our series in 2 Corinthians and as we come to God's word we need his help and I'm going to ask for that now. So let's pray together. Father we know that nothing will bear fruit without your spirit's work so please help me now as I speak and help each one of us to hear and be shaped by what you say to us through this part of your word. That's this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Every so often in life, something happens that makes you stop and think, who am I really? And what is my purpose in life? Maybe it's when your life begins a new chapter, perhaps moving to university or getting married or having children, starting a new job, uh, your eldest child uh, moving away to university, uh, losing a spouse or retirement. But those are questions for every one of us to grapple with, whatever our stage in life. There's a classic film from the 1980s called Ferris Bueller's Day Out. Uh, it's worth seeing if you haven't seen it uh, already. And in the film, there's a well-known bit where the main character, uh, Ferris Bueller, says, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Well, the pandemic has slowed down most of us, restricting choices and limiting busyness. All of us have had our ordinary made abnormal, our familiar unfamiliar, routines disrupted, dreams and plans interrupted, and relationships made difficult. Perhaps now is a good time for all of us to stop and think, who am I really? And what is my purpose in life? 
Well, let's turn now to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In today's passage, Paul, who wrote this letter, makes the point that if you are a Christian, then that is going to massively affect your answer to those questions. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Although Paul was deeply religious, he hadn't always been a Christian. He'd heard of Jesus, but he thought Jesus was a weak man who'd chosen to do crazy things with his life. The very fact that Jesus was killed so brutally as a criminal on a cross only confirmed to Paul that Jesus could not be part of God's plan. But then Paul met the risen Jesus. In fact, he was on his way to persecute and kill Christians, and meeting Jesus changed the whole direction of his life. It changed his view on who he thought Jesus was. It also changed his view of how he thought of himself and what he lived for. Look back to verse 15. He, that's talking about Jesus, he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul now sees that the weakness that he saw in Jesus and the things that Jesus did that Paul used to think were crazy were actually part of God's plan to rescue people, people who were as good as dead and bring them to life. He's now become convinced of a certain truth that Jesus died and was raised for their sake. He died for all. That wasn't a crazy thing to do. It was life-giving. And Paul was now a new creation. He no longer lived for himself. Instead, he now lived for the one who died to save him. And now he had a totally different perspective on who Jesus was and on why Jesus came. Look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So this is a radical transformation. It changed his goals, his aims in life. It influenced every decision he made. It's what drove him and it's what really mattered to him. It also changed how he viewed others. In these verses, he refers to his viewpoint before he became a Christian as according to the flesh. And so now there are two changed perspectives. First, who Jesus was. And secondly, his view of others. And that really matters because one of the reason, uh, reasons Paul wrote this letter was to show up as false the teachings of some, even in the church in Corinth, who were downplaying who Jesus was and what he had come to do. And those very same false teachers were also saying that Paul was hardly worth listening to. After all, he was clearly weak. Uh, he lived in a way that most sane, ordinary people would regard as unbalanced, unhealthy, possibly even unhinged. They said Paul's behaviour is, is the behaviour of an extremist, a fanatic. This was evidently uh, some of the things that the, the Corinthian Christians were thinking. Was, was Paul really a genuine apostle and a man of God? Do truly spiritual people behave in this excessive, almost lunatic fashion? However, says Paul, we can tell those who have a new creation, who are a new creation, because of their view of Jesus and when that is accompanied by a radical, Jesus-centred lifestyle, 
which measures the value of things in a different way. And Paul goes on to make it clear that these changes are nothing that he or they could take credit for. All of this is God's work. Look at verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled him, us to himself. This is the heart of the gospel. That reconciliation was needed between every man and woman on the planet and the one who created them. Why? Because our desire to live for ourselves comes not from not trusting him or trusting his plan for our lives. Our desire to live for ourselves, our sin, has caused a separation between us and God. And in this whole plan of salvation, of rescue, the initiative, the momentum, the purpose has all come from God. He sent his son, Jesus, who came to reconcile us to himself. How? Well, look at verse 21. This is an incredible verse. For our sake, he, that is Jesus, made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're so used to evil, we can easily become desensitised to how awful it is. But God isn't like that. Our, our sin offends him, grieves him, alienates him. Yet he offers to forgive us. But reconciliation can't just mean forgiving us, but ignoring the sin that destroyed our relationship with him. While God is merciful and forgiving by nature, he is at the same time the Holy One who cannot simply say of evil, it doesn't matter, let's forgive and forget. What was the solution? God made him, Jesus, to be sin. This is talking about the crucifixion of Jesus, the, the event that Paul once saw as evidence of Jesus' failure was in fact God's master plan. And the sky that went dark when Jesus died was a powerful sign of what was going on. God treated Jesus as a sinner. Jesus bore the punishment that should have been mine and should have been yours. And me? Well, I get treated as one who knew no sin. I receive a righteousness that is mine. As it says in verse 17, I am in Christ. I am now a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. I'm forgiven. And all that is true of Jesus is now true of me. Verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That was the incredible message that turned Paul's life upside down, that transformed him from a rebel against God into a beloved and forgiven son of God. And that meant living a new life in Christ that reached into every corner of his existence. It didn't just, it wasn't just one extra ball to juggle as a responsibility or an interest competing for his precious time and resources. Rather, this transformed everything he did in life. It determined how he thought about every aspect of his life. As a song that we've just heard sung put it, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And there's one final point from these verses that we need to see, and that is, and that, is that God's work in the world 
is not finished. He continues to reconcile men and women to himself in Christ, and he has a role for us to play in that. Look at verses 18 and 19. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and, get this, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. Now, Paul, of course, had a particularly special role in God's plan as an apostle, but he's not just talking about his role here. When God reconciles us to himself in Christ, he also puts us to work, to use the language of these verses, as ministers, as messengers, as those who work together with him, as it says in chapter 6, verse 1. Remarkably, God uses ordinary people like us, people who speak his word to others, and people who pray for his spirit to work in other people's hearts. And so if anyone is in Christ, they're not just a new creation, they're ambassadors for Christ. That at least is part of that answer of who am I? You may not, I guess, think of yourself as a, a channel for God's powerful word, but perhaps you think that's the kind of thing that's best left to the professionals, to the pastors and theologians and evangelists, and especially today, the missionaries. They're the ones with all the training after all. But as weak and inadequate for the task that we feel we are, that is what we are, ambassadors for Christ. And for Paul, the good news about Jesus wasn't just an academic topic or simply a case of, well, you do you and I'll do me. Paul's language is deeply emotional and passionate. You see him at work here as an ambassador for Christ in verse 20. He says, we implore you. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He's talking to you. He, he's told you all that Jesus has done for you. And he wants to know, how are you going to respond? Will you enter into a relationship of reconciliation with God? All of this is from God, remember. He has done it all. All that's required of you is to ask God for the forgiveness that he has provided for you in the death of his son. God will surely forgive you. There is no doubt about that. But you must ask, simply acknowledging your need for forgiveness. Chapter 6, verse 2 says, Now is the favourable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And the task of the church has always been to take the good news that reconciliation with God and forgiveness of sins is now possible through Jesus to everyone. We see that all over the Bible that God uses not just professionals to speak his word, but all of his people. So have a think through your week and the places that you only would go to. I know it's reduced at the moment, but just think it through that. And think about the people that only you meet, only you know. Are you there by accident? Not at all. God has put you there. If someone is going to tell these people about Jesus, it's going to be you. So why not pray for wisdom in learning to ask questions, uh, to, to spot opportunities to extend loving service and hospitality, for God's help to listen 
and to imaginatively speak and live out the gospel with a creativity that intrigues those that God brings into our path, that they ask questions about this faith and this uh, Jesus uh, that we love and serve. But we also need to deliberately and intentionally take that message to the whole world so that everyone might know the good news. There are millions of people who've never heard the good news of Jesus, many who are unreached with the news that they can be reconciled to God. And Paul had a passion to take the gospel message where it had never been heard before. And that is what drives those who have gone out from this church to serve as mission partners. They work together with God to take that message to the end of the earth. Well, again, what about you? Might it be possible that you too could deliberately move to a different place so that those who are not currently reached can hear the good news about Jesus? I know that won't be for everyone, and those who do this aren't more important or more spiritual than those who don't. But it's a really important question to ask ourselves, because one of the things that the church can and should do in response to those unreached people groups is to help identify and send and support those who can invest in up to a lifetime of intentional cross-cultural missionary work. And please, can you get in touch with me if you're even just beginning to think that might be a possibility? I'd love to chat and to pray that through with you and see uh, where that leads. But perhaps you can play your part in making the most of the incredible opportunities we have in the UK to reach students and others from across the globe, many from unreached people groups. Or perhaps you can consider strategically moving somewhere to do what you're doing now living and working, but in a part of the world where there is no Christian witness, and, and perhaps to help plant a church in that area. What part can you play in order to get the good news about Jesus to everyone in the whole world? It won't look the same for you as it will for others. God's gifted us all differently, and we're at different stages of life with different pressures and opportunities, but we all have a part to play. And I'm praying that God will help us to love and value what Christ has done for us more and more, because there's no way we'll extend ourselves to sharing the gospel with others if we don't cherish it ourselves. I'm so grateful to God for the generous and consistent support for World Mission that I see at our church. And right now there is a team of us reviewing that area of our church life and looking at how we can further strengthen and develop this area. And I look forward to sharing more with you about that over the coming months. But let me end by just mentioning two further ways that you can support World Mission at our church. First, and probably most crucially of all, is prayer. It's part of our church culture that every time we meet on a Sunday or midweek meetings, we pray for God's work across the globe. And each one of our home groups is linked to one of our mission partners. You'll be hearing more about that in our next home group on the 11th of November. So let's work hard at keeping in touch with and praying for those who've gone out from our church. I suspect that when we get to heaven, we'll realise quite how significant those prayers were. And it would be great to make prayer for gospel growth worldwide a regular part of your own prayer life. So if you don't do this regularly, why not make contact with one or two of our mission partners and pray for them? And if you use our church prayer diary, there are always prayer updates from our mission partners in there. And then secondly, as well as praying, you can give financially if you're able. The Bible encourages us to give, a regular, to give regularly a proportion of our income to God's work. And our suggestion here at JPC is that you give half of that to our own church and half to World Mission. 
You can find details of our giving scheme on the website if you need it. Your money can help to spread the gospel to all the world. So have a think about that and let the office here know how you'd like us to distribute your giving. You can also give to World Mission at Services of Holy Communion. And once a year, we have a special gift week. And this year, that's going to go to support Ryan and Lulu Muir, who are moving to work with Mandarin speakers in Hong Kong. I'll be emailing you more details about that on Tuesday. So look out for that. Well, we began with the question, who am I really and what is my purpose in life? For those of us who are in Christ, that is our identity. We are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And what's my purpose in life? We no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us. We grow in maturity as God works in us to make us more and more like Jesus. And we as ambassadors for Christ, working together with prayerfully speaking God's word to them, that they too might be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. And thank you that in Christ we are a new creation. We're overwhelmed by being your ambassadors. Please help us to live and to speak for you. And we ask that in your mercy you'd use us to grow the kingdom of your son. We thank you for raising up many from our church to go and share the good news of Jesus across the world. Please help us to support them seriously, wholeheartedly and prayerfully. And Heavenly Father, we beg of you to pour out your spirit in these days. Awaken those who don't know you and revive those who love you. Grant to your people a true vision of your glory, a renewed faithfulness to your word, a deeper consecration to your service, that through their witness your kingdom may advance and all people be brought to fear your holy name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.